Hi, everyone. Welcome to the January 14th, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Tonight is a very special show, and we have you to thank for it. Tonight, we kick off our 30th season of Colorado Inside Out. That's right, 30 seasons. We're only able to be here this long because you have invited us into your homes and been so generous with your support. Thank you for making these 30 seasons possible. And dare I say, here's to 30 more. And not so coincidental, I do want to give one shout out. Usually would say this for Say Something Nice, but it fits right here. Today, just by coincidence, happens to be the birthday of Barbara Jabaley. And for those longtime viewers, you know Barbara Jabaley. This is her brainchild. This was her baby that she created in 1992, along with several other accomplices. And she was kind enough to let me adopt it uh, in, in the 90s after she retired in 2000. Uh, I think it is fitting that Barbara celebrates a birthday on the anniversary, the day we kick off our 30th season. So to all of you at home making this show possible and to our dear friend Barbara who uh, got it kicked off, uh, we are grateful. Let's get started with Big News Week. This week, Congressman Ed Perlmutter announced he would not be seeking re-election, leaving the recently redrawn 7th Congressional District up for grabs. Democratic State Senator Brittany Peterson formally announced she'll be running to fill the vacancy and, quote, continue Perlmutter's legacy. Two Republicans are already in the race, Army veteran Eric Adland and 2020 Trump delegate Laura Eimer. But the race is bound to attract more candidates from both sides. Patty Calhoun from Westford, we start with you. Um, it is, uh, we, in Brittany Peterson, we have somebody who has a little bit of star power. Um, does she have enough to scare off other Democrats from a very attractive race? Well, these openings come up so rarely that people really have to think, if I want to do it now, I have to go in because somebody could be in this seat for eight more terms. But Brittany also it probably took a little courage to jump in since the last time she jumped in was when Ed Perlmutter had announced he was running for governor five years ago. And then he pulled out of the governor's race when Jared Polis got in, said he wasn't going to run for the seventh again, but then decided he was going to run for the seventh again. And so that set the whole dominoes in motion. But now Brittany's back in. I think she'll be formidable. She has a very interesting background. You know, her mother was addicted to opiates. She's been very open about that concern and many other issues that really resonate well with Colorado. So she's going to be a tough person to beat. I think we'll probably see maybe four more Republicans jump in, maybe one or two very brave Democrats. But let's also give a shout out to Ed Perlmutter, who did a great job as a congressman and still has a few more months to go. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Also join us, Eric Sonderman, longtime political analyst and uh, columnist with Colorado Politics and Gazette Newspapers. Uh, Eric, I think following uh, Patty's lead, I don't want to bury uh, the lead with Ed Perlmutter because he, even in a competitively drawn district, and it was drawn more competitive this time, I think you've made the point in your articles, and I would certainly agree, if Perlmutter was running, it was his race until he decided he's out. He has decided he's out. Now, at least it's, it's gonna, it looks pretty uh, competitive. Does this get the most attention now as a race, even though CD8 is a brand new slate as well? I think they both get plenty of attention. Let me s start where Patty ended and just give a, a shout out and kudos to, to Ed Perlmutter's eight terms of distinguished service and just he is just a highly decent human being. I, I don't know, even political opponents, many people out there, who have a bad thing to say about Ed Perlmutter. He did his, he and his office did some of the best constituent service, taking care of just the basic needs of their constituents of any congressional office. 
And the last shout out is he knew when it was time to step away. He didn't overstay his welcome. And I think there may be a couple other members of the delegation who uh, just saying could perhaps take a, take a lesson uh, from Ed in that regard. In terms of what happens now, I think the eighth will be very competitive and will get plenty of attention, plenty of money. But the seventh certainly will uh, as, as well. I don't know that Brit Brittany Pedersen clears the field, but I think um, uh, she perhaps has the opportunity. A couple of other potential Democratic candidates have already stepped aside and said uh, they're behind her. The one that I don't believe has been heard from so far is Andy Kerr, former mm -hmm. state senator, former Democratic leader, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the state Senate. Um, he was also looking at that race a number of years ago when Perlmutter temporarily jumped out of it. Uh, so that would be the big name I would pay attention to to see if he makes a move or not. I think he has a narrow window of time. On the Republican side, Patty's right, there will be a whole bunch of names getting in. The one that I would pay attention to is a, a young state rep from the southern part of Jefferson County named Colin Larson. He'd been looking at this. He'd been looking at perhaps getting into Challenge Perlmutter. Now that it's an open seat, I would anticipate Larson getting in. He's Republican enough to be attractive uh, to Republicans without being Trumpy. And this is a seat that leans Democratic, Dominic, but not so Democratic that if this turns out to be a Republican year, it couldn't be very, very much in play. And thank you for the correction. My apologies for mispronouncing Senator Pedersen's name. It's Pedersen, not Peterson. Uh, let's get to our next guest via Skype, Denise Mayas, uh, founder of Mayas, uh, Mayas uh, Solutions, also a public policy uh, consultant. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us, Denise. Uh, Denise, this is going to be a very... Um, uh, a big race that is considered competitive. So Democrats have uh, a slight advantage, but it is not a shoe-in. Uh, and uh, certainly a lot of attention is going to be in CD8 as well. Uh, does this change or modify the strategy for Democrats or Republicans running in these districts? Yeah, thank, thank you. And, and oh, definitely. And I want to start um, a little bit, I guess, where both Patty and Eric were leaving off. And I just want to say, how much gratitude that I have for Congressman Perlmutter. Um, I, I love Ed. Uh, he and I have known each other personally for a really long time. And in fact, he and I were law partners at the same law firm. And, and heck, he was undoubtedly instrumental in even getting me into that law firm. So I'm extremely appreciative. And I think Colorado is going to lose a really wonderful statesman um, when he he exits. Um, I think for sure that, uh, look, I have no doubt that Congressman Perlmutter would have won this uh, race if he had stayed in it, of course. But now, yeah, I think uh, the map is very different. And I think at the end of the day, we could easily see a 5-3 map where we have five Republicans and three Democrats. And so this district now is even more competitive than it was as it was drawn. And um, I think we, uh, both sides, have to change their strategy because now they got to put money into two congressional races as a, as opposed to what I think they were originally thinking of putting in a lot of money into into CD8. So it's going to change the political landscape a lot in a lot of the political discussion. So game on. 
And also join us via Skype, Michelle Ling, founder of Novatus Communications. Michelle, it's great to have you back on the program. Uh, Michelle, if Republicans are going to make a stand, you have what's supposed to be, and this would be for any president, it's supposed to be a big way for the opposing party. This is, should be their year. You have two competitive, the most competitive seats on paper in Colorado. Uh, it, the, the opportunity seems prime. Do you think uh, Colorado Republicans as a party will respond with the right candidates and the right campaigns? Well, thanks for having me on and happy birthday to Colorado Inside Out. And, you know, again, I'd like to thank uh, Congressman Perlmutter. It's tough to be a congressman in good times. And the past few years have been less than good. And he's done a beautiful job. So thank you to him. You know, I do think the seventh will be more competitive than people think. Uh, yes, the district leans uh, D by double digits. But, you know, that's comparing a race between Trump and Biden. Trump was so toxic in Colorado. And frankly, the issues this year, crime, education, et cetera, favor Republicans. So, you know, what I'm excited about in, in CD7 is actually the, um, the all the young people getting in. And with the average age of the U.S. Congress approximately 80, um, this is exciting. So I didn't know who Eric Adland was until yesterday. I like his campaign video. I hate his tie. Not a fan of Paisley. Um, I've also been hearing rumors about Colin Larson. He is exactly as Eric described. He's Republican, but he can be appealing to others as well. Um, he's a thoughtful and moderate legislature. And, you know, I think there's something to be said, uh, legislator, I think there's something to be said about cutting your teeth in lower office before going national. Not that I'm referring to anyone in Colorado. Um, but I just have one question. Um, it, where in Fremont County will Brittany Pedersen campaign with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? I just, I just really am curious about that. But it's going to be a really fun race to watch. A fundraiser watch indeed. Absolutely right. Let's get to our next topic. The 2022 legislative session has begun and we heard speeches from legislative leaders urging decorum and promising to make Colorado more affordable. On Thursday, Governor Jared Polis issued his state of the state address, which included plans for COVID relief, addressing the housing crisis and used new lines to Paul Simon's 50 ways to leave your lover to promote 50 ways to save Coloradans money. Uh, Eric, uh, Governor Polis has embraced being quirky. This is part of his brand. It's been effective for him. But did you have new lines to 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover on your bingo card? I did not have 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover anywhere near my bingo card, nor did I have Paul Simon, other than perhaps the former uh, senator from Illinois, but, but not this Paul Simon uh, that I was expecting in the State of the State speech, much less Taylor Swift and Britney Spears references as well. Uh, it's the only State of the State speech I think I've ever watched. I was wondering if it was going to have musical accompaniment or backup singers or, 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 or any of that. Uh, it was very much an electioneer speech. It was very much of a Jared Polis speech when you think about it. I go back, uh, you know, a number of political generations now, as does Patty. I cannot recall another governor who has been such a strong, in-control, in-charge governor in what is constitutionally a pretty weak office uh, as Jared Polis. Now, COVID obviously contributed immensely to that, but even take away COVID, which is obviously the ultimate hypothetical, um, and he is a governor who uses every lever of power that there is uh, to be used. This was a re-election speech, if I've ever heard a re-election speech, talking about affordability, talking about ways to save money. 
I think it indicates on his part and his consultant's part an awareness of two key issues that are threats to Democrats out there, one being inflation and the other not related to saving money but related to another part of his speech was the real emphasis on crime, uh, et cetera. And uh, those are both hot button issues and those are both huge potential negatives for any Democrat this cycle. Denise, uh, when we see state-of-the-state state speeches and early session speeches, they are just that. They're not really policy agendas. They're just meant to get things kicked off. What did you take away from this week? Well, I thought uh, for the most part uh, the, the speeches were intended to be upbeat and give uh, Coloradans hope for uh, for tomorrow, and I think uh, a lot of folks struck that tone. You know, one of the things about uh, the governor's uh, uh, state of the state was he certainly talked about ways to save people dollars and cents. Um, you know, uh, uh, postponing some uh, taxes and some fees and lowering the price of a driver's license or your vehicle registration. But I think there needs to be a little bit more emphasis on sort of the bigger things. How are we going to pull people from the brink? We have a really, really serious housing crisis. We have opioid addiction on the up. We have a lot of behavioral health needs. So not only do we have to save Coloradans money, we also have to put money into these really basic and needed services. And look, I often say the city, the state, our governments, they know how to defund things. And we have defunded a lot of these things, all of these really needed things for a long, long time. And I think it's time for us to look at how do we refund some of these basic needs and basic services so that all Coloradans can thrive. Michelle, uh, tax cuts and keeping people safer sounded a lot like a Republican agenda, not necessarily uh, a Democratic agenda. Uh, what did you take away from the speeches this week, and what did you think about some of the issues we've heard? Here's what I took away from the speeches this week. Colorado's got 99 problems in here, and uh, Democrats own every single one of them. From federal issues to state, Democrats are in control of the U.S. presidency, both chambers of the U.S. Congress. They control both chambers in Colorado. They have the governorship. And things are not great right now for, for the populace. So consumer prices are up 7% over the last 12 months, a 35% increase in violent crime since 2011. It's dramatically outpacing uh, the national increase. First-time homelessness doubled in 2021 by... Um, in, in overall homelessness tripled um, overall. So I live in Douglas County and I've seen homeless people in South Douglas County, like Larkspur style. So when you see people begging for money and they're competing for land use with cows and developers down here, we know we have a problem. Um, and then I, I could talk for seven hours on housing affordability. You know, I appreciate Governor Polis's acknowledgement of the housing crisis we're in, but you know, um, we have the fifth highest population growth in the country, fourth worst housing shortage in the country. And let me read you a few stats here. So to keep pace um, with population gains, Colorado must deliver more than 54,000 new housing units annually over the next five years. And 10,000 of those have to be multifamily at a minimum. We didn't even come close to that in 2021. The housing shortage exceeds 100,000 units right now. So it's no wonder we have we see like 25% increase in single family home prices and rents increasing as well. Um, you know, I think that there's, there's a real... Um, supply and demand issue. We need higher density housing. We need you know, to lower barriers to building. 
um, we, we just need to build our way out of this. Um, the good news is there are home builders who are working to reduce costs and the time to build for, you know, through a lot of solutions like manufactured housing and, and instead of site-built housing. And I think that um, you know it's going to be the housing of the future, but we have to get there. And um, we do need some great policy work um, to lower barriers there. Uh, Patty, is the, do you expect a TikTok video next time for the state of the state from Governor Polis? Well, I have to say, he did kind of outquirk a lot. We've had a long line of quirky governors. I mean, it's hard to outquirk Hickenlooper, for example. Dick Lamb, in his own way, was always a surprise in what he was willing to say, um, take difficult stances. But the Paul Simon just was a new one. I would not have thought about 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover as an emphasis on saving money. I think it's it's definitely something that is going to concern people more and more as we go forward. But I think cutting down on your driver's license fees might be a small, relatively small concern for many Coloradans compared to the big pictures. And we are looking at it with affordability for housing. We're looking at it with the homeless issue. We're looking at it with crime. So the Democrats are going to have a lot of areas they're going to need to focus on if they're really going to win people in November. But um, let's see, I'm trying to think what Republican, what would they have used? Kenny Rogers, the gambler, as their song. So we could spend the next 11 months coming up with different songs that are good thematic things for Colorado. All my exes live in Texas, it comes to mind as well. Something about taxes in Texas and exes. Anyway, but a good point, I th uh, something there. Over 8,000 employees of King Supers and City Market went on strike this week, impacting over 77 store locations. The company and the union continue to spar over wages and the safety and well-being of employees. Denise, we start with you on this one. It seems like there's a lot of community support. I saw a whole lot of pictures of empty parking lots around the community. What's your take? Well, I mean, pure and simple. I mean, I think you're exactly right. And and I personally stand um, with these with the workers. And I think what they're doing is they're raising the consciousness of um, for all of Coloradans. Uh, and they're bringing uh, to the forefront some very stark realities. A lot of the individuals that work at King Supers, they live in poverty uh, or they rely on public services and uh, or they have a second job. And I think that the company is paying quite simply too low of a wage. We've seen a lot of reports and statistics and data that suggest somewhere near $20 an hour is kind of close to livable wage, and King Supers is not there. Um, during the pandemic, many people really refer to these workers as not only essential, but we refer to them even as heroes. But the truth really is much darker. The workers are woefully underpaid, they're unappreciated, and they often work without adequate health care. And so I, I think uh, to their commercial, King Supers has reached a low, low, low point um, because they're treating their essential workers as dispensable, and that's unacceptable. Michelle, this is one of the first grocery strikes where there's a lot more competition for folks to go to. Uh, in the old days, and growing up here in Denver, uh, you would, you know, you could go to Safeway, maybe in Albertsons, and that was about it. Now, uh, there's four or five, like you, I live in Douglas County, and they've got a lot of options. If I don't want to go to King Supers, not that people are always making that decision, do you think this is going to have ramifications to other businesses and other uh, areas and industries around Colorado? Hoping that you, we actually see some of these workers uh, believe in themselves. You know, when you do collective bargaining, you're betting that the person next to you is actually a better worker than you are. Otherwise, it's not a good deal, 
right? And so, you know, right now there's never been a better time to try something new, to be upwardly mobile, to, there's tons of, of industries like the home building industry, the construction industry, they're offering low and low cost or no cost uh, training. And those are good paying jobs. You want, you're talking about $20 an hour, forget that. You know, some of them can be up to, you know, 40 and $50 an hour. Patty, uh, this feels like something that it's impacting everyone way or the other. You may have a different point on it, but a lot of folks shop at King Super City Market in Colorado. Uh, things that we'll see as a result from this strike. Well, think about it. The last strike was when this show was four years old. And if you remember back in 96, Safeway was also on strike. And the feeling about that strike, as I recall it, was very different from this one. Part of it is you can still go to Safeway. The other thing is we're coming off the, we're not coming off it, but we're coming off two years almost with the pandemic and a job that would be tougher than working in a grocery store and seeing if people are masked and trying to keep the shelves stocked and working extra hours. It's hard to imagine just how tough those times have been. Meanwhile, you're also seeing big uh, salaries with Kroger executives. So the sympathies clearly are on the side of the strikers, I think, this round. But it does look like there's discussion today. They're supposed to have been in talks today. I think this strike will end much sooner than the last one did. Yeah, pointing out it was 1996 uh, hit home. I was an intern on this show last time there was a grocery. That was a long time ago. Uh, Eric, uh, wrap it up for us. Your thoughts. Yeah, I identify with a lot of what's been said by uh, fellow three panelists. Uh, I had th thought there was a lot of talk early on that this was going to be a three-week strike, that the union was dug in for three weeks. When I hear that, I figure, okay, that's when the negotiations are going to get serious after about two and a half weeks. Now, as Patty indicated, they're back at the table, so maybe it ends sooner than that. I think it's going to take some concessions from management. Obviously, it's going to take concessions on both sides. But um, these are workers who have been through the worst of it over the last uh, couple of years in particular and are not paid uh, in any way a, a decent wage. So the sympathies are with them. And it's part of this bigger national context of whatever you call it, the great resignation, et cetera, um, of where lots of individuals around this country are just reevaluating their career choice and looking at other options and looking at the inequities in the system and making individual decisions. I think about, you know, we talked about this with Michelle and in Douglas County, I drive right before I hit my local King Supers, there's a good times and they are putting their starting wage uh, and they've been doing it for several years now and it's already at 18. So if, if that's the, the local uh, flipping burger joint, uh, you gotta figure yeah. out when, when's the next step for grocery workers and how it's gonna impact the rest of the community. It's gonna be interesting to watch. Well, let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. 2022 has started out with a lot of disgraces, but it's going to be hard to beat Regis High School, which wound up taking such umbrage at a student publication that had an op-ed that was pro-choice that they wound up retracting it and getting rid of the two advisors on that student publication. Great lesson in First Amendment speech. Eric. Patty had a great one. Let me go with another one, because as she indicated, 2022 is off to... Uh, uh, plenty, of t plenty of subjects here for Disgrace of the Week. A gentleman by the name of Travis Singhouse, he's been in the news lately. I believe Westward and Patty are getting ready to do a, a story on him. He runs a um, charity, supposed charity, called Impact Locally. He's been arrested on charges of 
confiscating, for lack of a better word, defrauding donors of nearly $350,000 in money that they thought was going to charities. And instead, he lined his pockets. I think of the different low points to raise money under purposes or auspices of doing good and line your pockets with it, uh, it's a pretty high bar. Denise, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. I want to thank uh, Patty for raising that particular one because it was on my list as well. Uh, look, my bad of the week, frankly, is uh, Minority Leader Hugh McKean's speech on opening day. Uh, the amount of fear mongering that he did in his speech was really off the charts and it was really the opposite of hopefulness. And look, there is some crime that is definitely on the uptick in the state of Colorado and in our neighborhoods. There's also some crime that has remained steady um, and is going down. And we ought to look at the causes of these crimes and take a serious look of what we can do to address it. But Minority Leader McKean blamed the high crime spike on the criminal legal reforms that have taken place over the last two years. And he doesn't have a bit of evidence to support it because there isn't any evidence to support that that proposition. And indeed, the evidence suggests that the opposite is true. And I think even worse than that, uh, McKean uh, proposed going back to the tough on crime policies and broken windows policing. And, uh, you know, that is crazy talk uh, because those policies have not done us well at all. And in fact, they have only worsened uh, the community um, engagement with law enforcement. Um, and that's not leadership. Those are bad policies. Michelle, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Well, thanks, Dominic. Um, I think my disgrace of the week is the RTD telling Colorado journalists that they have to have 10 million, they have to have $10 million of general commercial um, liability insurance um, in order to film in Union Station or on RTD property. You know, first of all, that's a, I, I think that's a First Amendment issue, personally. Um, I, I just think that the government shouldn't be throwing up barriers like that to uh, reporters reporting what's, you know, truly a, a, a bad issue. We we have issues at Union Station. I, I work a block from there. I almost slipped in the throw up the other day. So, um, you know, this is a really important issue. But I'd also like to welcome journalists to the small business world, right? Because every day small businesses are um, just want to do their jobs without government, you know, encumbrance, and um, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to do so. Um, so, you know, perhaps journalists can uh, give small businesses a more sympathetic year now. Well, we've been chatty today, so it's time to say something nice rather quickly. Bumper sticker edition, Patty. The MLK Marade returns on Monday. Meet at City Park at 9.30 for the walk to city uh, to Civic Center. It's a great event. A great tradition. Eric. Happy birthday, Barbara. Happy birthday, Colorado Inside Out. And to Dusty Talavera, the young woman who was looking out of her apartment window, saw three kids slip through ice, went and rescued them. I mean, that is good Samaritan of the first order. Denise, you're saying something nice week, we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. And if there's one thing that Martin Luther King taught us, and that is to remain forever hopeful. Uh, today may not be ideal, um, but that just means that we keep hope alive for tomorrow. It'll be a better day. You're here. Michelle, you're saying something nice. I am so excited. The stock show is back up and running this year, and and we had so much fun at, at Boots to Business or Boots and Business, the Denver Chambers event. It was so great to see so many friendly faces. So 
I'll give a quick shout out to our friends at the Martin Luther King Jr. Business Awards. They're just having it here on Friday, but they shared with us their winners, uh, award winners videos. You can watch them on PBS 12 throughout our MLK Day programming on Monday. You could also watch them online right there at pbs12.org. For everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, thank you so much for making our 30 seasons possible, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night. Thank you.